0: What do love, relationships, and step six have to do with each other? Maybe everything. Welcome to episode 248 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Kelly, Amber, Rafter, and Benjamin. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Kelly, Amber, Rafter, and Benjamin, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. I have a reading from Courage to Change. This is January 2nd. Turning to an alcoholic for affection and support can be like going to a hardware store for bread. Perhaps we expect a good parent to nurture and support our feelings, or a loving spouse to comfort and hold us when we are afraid, or a caring child to want to pitch in when we are ill or overwhelmed. While these loved ones may not meet our expectations, it is our expectations, not our loved ones, that have let us down. Love is expressed in many ways, and those affected by alcoholism may not be able to express it the way we would like, but we can try to recognize love whenever and however it's offered. When it is not, we don't have to feel deprived. Most of us find an unfailing source of love in Elanon. With the encouragement and support of others, we learn to treat our needs as important and appropriate and to treat ourselves as deserving. Sometimes events come together in my life and form a message about a new step in my recovery. That seems to have happened for me this weekend. And in order to tell this story, I'm going to have to talk about some Books and concepts that are not part of the program, but that have had meaning to me and, and are definitely part of the story. Friday night, my wife and I went to a workshop at our church on the five love languages. So the five love languages is a series of books with that basic title focused, I guess, at different audiences. I looked on Amazon. There's five love languages. The original one is about how it applies in a marriage, but then there's the five love languages for children, the five love languages for teenagers, how to use the five love languages in business. I haven't looked at that one, but that sounds intriguing. And the basic idea of these books is that there are different ways in which we feel loved or appreciated. And in addition, that some ways are more important to each of us than others and that it's not the same for everybody. We often most often express love in the ways that we want to receive it. And our partner's way of feeling loved is actually probably not the same as ours. And so, while we think we're performing acts of love, our partner maybe doesn't see it that way and is missing what would make them feel loved. So if we don't understand the way in which our partner feels most loved, it can weaken or even destroy our relationship. In the book, he goes, in detail into examples, of course, which really helped me when I read the book to to understand the, the concepts he was putting forth and to see how they might apply to me and to my relationships. As I said, I first encountered the five love languages several years ago. A friend in the program loaned me a copy of the book. At that time, I was struggling with rebuilding my relationship with my wife, which had been severely damaged by alcoholism. At this point, she had been sober for over five years, and I had been in Al-Anon for about ten. And as it says in our book, How Al-Anon Works, in the discussion of step one, step one is we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. In the book it says, in this reading, Al-Anon does not promise that sobriety will solve our problems or fix our relationships. And I had found that to be true. And so when I received this book, I read it cover to cover, and I came to some realizations. I came to these realizations through the sense of loss or pain that, that brought me to them. As a, a friend said in the workshop on Friday that we were at, paraphrasing I think from the book, said it can help to think about where you most feel loss or pain in your relationship when you're trying to decide which love language is most important to you. And yes, I will get to them. Hang with me here. Okay. Actually, maybe I should tell you right now what they are. And again, these are the ways in which I or you feel most loved. And according to the book, they are words of appreciation, which can include compliments, thanks and gratitude for things you do or say or just are, and maybe those three simple words, I love you. There are lots of ways to give and receive words of appreciation. It can be verbal. could be a card. could be a little email, a post-it note on the fridge or on the mirror in the morning. For those for whom words of appreciation are an important language of love, when we don't receive them, no matter what else we get, we can feel that we're not appreciated and not loved. Another of the five love languages is acts of service. And this, this is when somebody does something for you. It might be, Washing the dishes, running an errand, anything. As my wife asked me the other day, she said, can you figure out how to update Microsoft Word on the computer? She was, she was asking for an active service. The third language, and, and I don't have these, I think, in the order they appear in the book, but the third one that I wrote down is physical touch, which could be a soft caress, a touch on the shoulder, a pat on the back, a hug, a kiss. Or sexual intimacy. There's a whole range of physical touch that can help us to feel like we are loved. Another language is quality time. Spending time together. Just having conversation. These days, many of us are starved for for conversation. We spend so much time on our phones or watching TV or playing video games whatever it might be, and not spending time together. Could be conversation, as I said, sharing thoughts, sharing your plans, your fears, your deep feelings, going for a walk maybe, just doing something together. And the fifth language is receiving gifts. Again, these are the things that make us feel loved, that make you feel loved, and so when you maybe, when when receiving gifts is one of your love languages, you feel loved when when you receive a gift. And you will probably show love by giving gifts. So those are the five love languages as, as expressed in the, the books and as was presented to us in the, in the workshop. So what did I realize after I read the book? The first one was seemingly small, but turned out to be very important to me, and I think to our relationship. But I know it was important to me because it totally changed the way I thought about something, and I felt about something, and turned it from an annoyance into an act of love. My wife would ask me to do simple things, and I thought, well, she could just as easily do these things for herself. Why is she asking me? Why can't she just do it? Reasonable thought, right? Anyway, she would ask me to do things like maybe picking something up from the drugstore. And I was like, you can go to the drugstore. In fact, you know, you've got a lot more time in your day than I do. Why don't don't you go to the drugstore? I mean, if I was already going to the drugstore, then sure, I'll pick something up. But to make a special trip, why me? That was the way I felt. I would be annoyed. Reading this book helped me to see that acts of service is one of her love languages. And that when she said, can you pick up my prescription from the drugstore? What she really was saying was, do you love me? And if I said, I don't feel like it, then she heard that as, I don't love you. And so when I Mm -hmm. came to this realization i changed the way that i heard the request it changed the way that i received the request when i when i could translate will you pick up my prescription at the drugstore to i would feel very loved if you would go to the drugstore and pick up my prescription for me well that made it a whole lot easier to say yes and to feel good about doing it to not do it resentfully this healed a little emotional scar in me, really, to heal a, a scar in a relationship, really, and to feel closer. The other thing that really hit me hard that I realized upon reading the book was this: At the time I was reading this book, because I'm like, I'm having trouble feeling close to my wife. I want to, but I, I, I'm not feeling it. so I was feeling so I, you know reading one of the reasons I was reading the book. And I had developed a close friendship with another Al-Anon member at this time, and not the person who loaned me the book, just to be clear. We would share long phone calls, emails, text messages. We'd talk about program, but also we'd just talk about our lives, our thoughts, our feelings. Looking back on it from this perspective of several years later, I can see that I became needy in that relationship, that I was trying to fill, as we'll see, I was trying to fill a hole with somebody else. It was not really their job to fill that hole. It's never somebody's job to fill a hole in me. I really put a lot of my serenity in the hands of this other person. Of course, I hadn't asked them if they wanted it. Did they want that power? And I'm sure they didn't. I'm sure they would have said no if I had asked. And then I read the book. And after reading the chapter about quality time, I realized some things. I realized that quality time was important to me, that I was not getting it in my marriage. And that I was trying to fill it with time spent with my friend. But what was even harder was the realization, the vision that became clear to me, that I was actively pushing away my partner's attempts to spend time with me. Wow. I needed quality time. At the same time, I was refusing it in my marriage. No wonder I felt unconnected, disconnected. No wonder I felt like I wasn't getting what I needed, because I was actively pushing away the thing, one of the things that I that I needed to feel close. Huh. <sighs> so when I realized that, I started trying to recognize the opportunities that I had to spend time and to say yes to them. And that that helped. It really did. I can be grumpy, I can be tired, and I can say no, and then I can say, Oh, but but wait course, I say that internally, not externally, right? So back to this weekend, you know, I never shared the book or any of my insights with my wife because I think at the time, as, as I said, I was, I was trying to figure out how to feel close again so that maybe I could start to share this sort of thing. And, and at that time, it, it, I wasn't ready. So I hadn't shared it with her. And a few weeks ago, she said to me, or I don't know, texted, emailed something, because that's how we communicate these days, right? She said, I signed us up for a workshop at church on the five love languages. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. And I think it wasn't face-to-face, so I I could have that reaction without, so that by the time we were face-to-face, I could say, okay, that sounds great. You know, I was a little apprehensive, as as I indicated, and I said, well, yeah, let's do it, or just okay, whatever it was. So Friday night, I found myself sitting with her in a circle with, I think it was eight, couples seven or eight other couples listening to a couple's therapist tell us about the love languages about why she thought they were important and then giving us our assignments which of course we were to complete right there in the workshop that's why they call it a workshop right we had worksheets that she had given us and they had several parts first we had to rank the five love languages for ourselves, and we had some some resource sheets ex- explaining them in more detail. There's a really nice one that she had; it I think apparently was designed for teenagers. So it was nice and graphical and and simple. And then there was one that she had put together for you know us adult type people with a lot more words. I like the teenager one. It was a lot easier for me to to get it in a glance. I think. So we had to rank them for ourselves, and then without consulting with our partner. No cheating, no peeking at the other person's paper. We had to rank them in the way we thought they were important to our partner. Okay, so that's that's parts one and two. And then there were five columns, one for each of the, the la- love languages, and we were supposed to write in each column at least two things that we felt we were getting from our partner that spoke to us in that language. Some of those were easy and some of those were harder for me you wouldn't think just two things would be too hard you know what's two ways in which i receive gifts what are two ways in which i receive words of affirmation what are two ways in which i feel i spend we spend quality time etc and then came again for me the hardest for our top 2 love languages we were to write one or two things that we would like to have that would make us feel more loved and she wanted us to write these As what are called SMART goals. SMART is an acronym, of course, stands for specific. So we have to ask for something specific. It has to be measurable. So we know whether we got it or not. It has to be achievable. It has to be something that our partner can do. You can't ask for the moon. Might be specific and measurable, but it's not achievable. Needs to be relevant. So it needs to be, I think in that context, that means it needs to be something I actually want and it needs to be time limited. So we can't, I can't ask for something forever. After we had all written some stuff down, she came around and, and helped each of us reformulate our request to meet these criteria and also to be stated in a, in a loving way. We we were supposed to also be positive in our request, not to say, You don't do this for me and I want you to. The request is, I would really feel loved or appreciated if you would do this thing. To give you my example, or one of my examples, I had originally written, go to a museum or park with me. And the therapist suggested that I might rephrase that as, I would really feel loved if you would plan a two-hour trip to a museum or park in the next month. So you can see, it's still it's specific... Museum or park. Okay. That's still specific. It's time limited, both the length of the trip and the period in which it should happen. It's achievable. It's relevant because it's something I want to do. What did I miss? Specific, measurable, achievable, relevant time. Okay. Got them all. Um, (laughs) And then, and then, and then after we're done writing all these things by ourselves on our pieces of paper comes the moment of truth. We turned our chairs so we're facing each other, sitting in a circle in a room with these seven or eight other couples facing each other and talking to each other about what we wrote and then, hardest of all, making our requests, looking at each other, like eye to eye. Yeah, um, not a comfortable thing for me in almost any circumstance, but did it, and it was good. What was interesting was that we each had identified... The others, top two. But for both of us, we had them in the other order. We had their number two first and and their number one second. So I felt that was good because it showed that we, that we know each other pretty well. And for myself, and this, again, this is in hindsight, afterthought, whatever. I think that when I was doing this, I had really not considered that things might have changed for me since I first read the book. So what I wrote down were the things that I identified at the time of reading. For example, for me at that time, the quality time that was missing from my marriage felt like the most important thing. It was the thing that I was trying the hardest to replace. But I'm not sure that that's actually true. And the experience that I've had recently, my wife has, oh, not not actually recently, but my wife started doing the prep work for dinner. So I've always been the cook in the family when we both had jobs, you know, I was the one that had the the aptitude and the inclination to do it and uh, I kept on doing that even during the the period of time when she was working less or not at all because it is something that I enjoy doing. It's a creative activity that also hey feeds us. And a few years ago she gave me as a gift, I think it was Christmas gift, I don't remember, access to a meal planning thing online where every week you get a little newsletter that suggests some number of meals with recipes and it will compute a shopping list for you and you can put things on, take things off, whatever, customize it. It really helps during the week in particular when I come home from work and we have a limited amount of time to have dinner, to have some idea ahead of time of what we might make, I can print out the recipes. So she started doing the prep work. She started doing, you know, chopping the onions and that sort of thing. And and I could come home and I could throw together a meal and we'd have it on a table in, you know, half an hour or less usually. And that was and I and I really appreciated that. And I I don't think I had realized how much I would appreciate that until it happened. And so maybe if I had started from where I am now rather than where I was whatever it was five years ago or so. I might have put acts of service first, which is what she put first for me. I put it second. It was, You know, they're pretty close together, I think, in my estimation. Going the other way, again, I had had that insight from reading the book that acts of service were important to her. But I also knew, and I have known this for a long time and have been reminded many times, that words are really important to her. And it's something that I actually have found difficult to do. I guess it's not so important to me and so I I have to really make a concerted effort to give compliments to give appreciations. And I'm better at it than I was, but but it's still not it's not to the level where, you know, she would really feel loved by the amount of of words of appreciation that I give her. So again, if I had thought about where we are now or if I hadn't had that particular revelation, maybe I would have put Words of appreciation first and acts of service second, which is where she had them or not. You know, we did pretty well. I think in knowing each other, we have been together for several decades, so maybe not too surprising. So I wrote here, maybe she knows me better than I know myself could be. So I promised a connection to step six up at the beginning, didn't I? But you forgot about that. What's this got to do with step six? which is, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. I mean, really, what's it got to do with it? Well, I didn't see that connection until the next morning, Saturday morning. I went to my meeting, and as I th- I'm i sure I've noted here before, it's a step study meeting, and it was the third Saturday of the month. The table I usually sit at on the third Saturday would be studying Tradition 5, because it's May. But that table was pretty full, and the other table was much less full. And so I thought, eh, I'll move over to the other table and help to balance them a little bit more. Well, as it happened, the table I moved to was studying step six. Okay. And I have found in my recovery a lot of power in steps six and seven. For me, this is where the a lot of the real change starts to happen, that I've heard Steps one, two, and three, called the preparation steps, and steps four through nine, called the action steps. And for me, step four, which is inventory, step five, which is admitting to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Yes, there's definite action there. You know, there's a lot more action in making a searching and fearless, fearless moral inventory than there is in becoming willing to. Turn my will and my life over the care of my higher power. There's some action in becoming willing, maybe coming to believe, a little bit of action, maybe, but there's prescribed action in step four, performing an inventory. And in step five, which is sharing that inventory with another human along with God and myself. So those seem like action steps, but for me, they also are really preparation for where the You know, in a sense, the rubber meets the road in Step 6 and 7, where I commit to change. In Step 6, becoming ready to ask for change. So Step 6 for me is about coming to own and accept in all humility what I view as my shortcomings, the things that I want to change, so that I can humbly ask in Step 7. And until I own them, I cannot be. And this is my experience. I cannot be entirely ready. I cannot become entirely ready to have God remove them. So in this meeting, we read from the book Paths to Recovery, the introduction to the step, which for step six is relatively short. It's a couple of pages, I think. As we were reading, I started to connect what I was hearing and reading with my experience the night before. I started to remember the difficulty that I had had in opening up with my wife started to remember the discomfort of sitting face to face, looking at her and talking about the important ways in which I feel loved. I started to remember forcing myself to ask for love. Why was that so hard? What is still stopping me from being open and honest with her? What do I need help with? And so I was sitting there at the table that I had coincidentally moved to realizing that I was solidly sitting in step six on these questions. The worksheet I had filled out the night before was an inventory of what I had, what I wanted, what I lacked in my relationship with my wife. By speaking about it in the meeting, and I guess in the workshop, I shared with my higher power, with myself and with several other people, the exact nature of my shortcomings. And that's step five, right? So I had an inventory, step four i shared it, step five, and now it is time for me to become entirely ready to ask for help from a higher power to move forward. You know, ask for help to shower my wife with words of appreciation, which is what she asked for. Ask for help to feel more comfortable opening up and deepening the time we spend together to give it more quality, which is what I asked for. Step six tells me that I don't need to do it alone. In fact, it tells me that I can't do it alone. Part of being entirely ready is the realization that I have not succeeded in doing it myself. So why not ask for help? What is stopping me? Pride? Fear? Shame? More will be revealed. I am a grateful member of al I am grateful that my life and my higher power give me coincidences like these, so that I can t- continue to find new paths to a happier, more serene, and more satisfying way of living. Well, the first song that I picked for this topic, it just popped right into my head and I was like, oh, really? Okay. The, uh, the most popular version of this song was from the Scottish band Nazareth. The song is Love Hurts. That's the title, Love Hurts. Some lyrics here, love hurts, love scars, love wounds and mars. Any heart, not strong or tough enough to take a lot of pain, take a lot of pain. Love is like a cloud Holds a lot of rain, and yeah, love can hurt, especially when we're not getting it in the way that makes us really feel loved. If you want to share your thoughts on languages of love and and how they appear in your life, your thoughts on how you have. Work through some difficulty in your life using Step 6, or started, I guess, to work through some difficulty in your life using Step 6, please, please share your experience, strength, and hope. You can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now, 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website, or if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at the show. And a few of you have added your voices. Rafter wrote, Thank you, Spencer, for doing what you do, and thanks for, to all your great guests, too. Your show has been hugely comforting and helpful presence in my ACA awareness and recovery process. And thank you, Rafter. I'm glad we're helping. Cynthia left us a voicemail with a topic suggestion.
1: Hi, my name is Cynthia, and I'm calling from Dallas. I just wanted to say, first off, that I really enjoy your podcast. Thank you so much for doing it. It's really a beacon of light in, in the midst of some troubling storms in my life, and I know it is for many people. So thank you for the work that you're doing. I would love to see you do a show on... Children who are addicts, I feel like so much of the podcasts that I've listened to have been um, from an adult perspective, and I think it's completely different when you are a parent dealing with a child who is in the midst of active addiction. Um, So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you can support without enabling when you have a legal minor in your home. So I don't have the option to kick them out or enforce certain consequences that I might for an adult, a spouse. Um, And so I'd love to hear, you know, some stories from other people or your thoughts on that or what some of the experts have to say about how to best parent a child who's going through active addiction um, and recovery. So I appreciate your time and your consideration on that topic and I look forward to hearing future shows. Thank you.
0: I have been collecting some experiences from from Parents of Alcoholics. I will be putting together that episode. I really will. Got an email from Diane. She writes, Hi Spencer. I heard Eric say, I think it was Eric, about using another phrase in place of boundaries regarding house rules. I wrote it down and cannot find it to save my life. It was code of something. Does that ring a bell? Thanks for the show's giving us all encouragement, strength, and hope. Blessings, Diane. And and Diane, I believe what he said was code of conduct. So... uh, The household code of conduct is is posted on the the fridge or something. This is how we conduct ourselves together, right? Rebecca asked about the letter I read from Amber last week. Do you know where Amber found the letter to a higher power? At first you said she wrote a letter to a higher power, but... She said she addressed it to herself and printed it out, making me think it may be available for anyone. I, too, have a son who is an addict and need to remind myself over and over that he has a higher power, just like I do, and it's not me. Thank you for the podcast. I have been listening for a few years and have listened to them all and even go back and revisit. Rebecca. And, Rebecca, thanks for pointing that out. I should have realized that if I maybe had read her email a little more carefully, but... After you pointed that out, I did a web search and I found what I think is the original in an Anon blog post. And I will put a link in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 248 for anybody who wants to find that letter. Got an email from Amy. Hi, Spencer. I appreciate all the work that you do with the podcast and it is an important part of my recovery. It was also really cool to hear you read my email as part of one of the podcasts. Hey, that's why I do it, you know? I have a question about crosstalk. I understand that each meeting is a bit different about crosstalk from very strict and no mentioning others' shares to more gentle or lax where it is okay to reference another share. Personally, I like hearing when my share speaks to someone. I also feel like it's nice to thank people for their service when they provide a lead. I recently had an experience in one of my meetings that I'm not sure how to handle and I wanted another opinion. I shared a personal experience about having dental surgery and that I was touched and grateful that my friends and fiancé were checking in with me before I was even finished. They wanted to make sure I was okay and see if I needed anything. I was touched. I felt very loved and humbled by their care. By the way, humbleness was the topic. Another member later summarized my share by saying something about replacing the love that my parents couldn't give me as a child because they are alcoholics with the love of my friends and fiancé. That really upset me. My meetings should be a safe place to share my thoughts and feelings no matter what they are. Al-Anon groups are the one place that I should always feel heard, accepted, and often understood. I'm really not sure how to handle this. I consider this group my home group, and it works best in my schedule. I do generally enjoy the group and learn a lot from the shares. I also feel like this is the first time that this person overstepped this much. Any thoughts or ideas? The podcasts that I've been listening to have been taking a lot about crosstalk. I'm not sure if it's my higher power in action or if others have the same questions. This could be a good topic for a podcast. If you haven't already done it, thanks again. I wouldn't be where I am in my recovery without your podcast. Keep up the great service, Amy. And I got to say, Amy, that to me is unacceptable. Anytime that somebody in a meeting makes an assumption and tries to reinterpret what somebody else says as if they understood the person better than the person understood themselves really rubs me the wrong way. I know I have talked about being in a meeting where somebody essentially did that, and I never went back to that meeting. And luckily it was not one of my regular meetings. It was one I went to because I needed a meeting that night, and it was the one that was available. And I've had other people get really turned off by similar experiences, other friends of mine. I guess, you know, if this is the first time it's happened, I might suggest that maybe that person just, you know, wasn't really thinking that night was probably connecting it to something in their own life. And it just came out wrong. If it's a pattern, that's a different matter. And that's more problematic. So yeah, those are my thoughts right now. Thanks for writing. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery shows, but we do have expenses. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly just like Kelly, Amber, Rafter, and Benjamin did. And thank you again for your support, Kelly, Amber, Rafter, and Benjamin. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to the recovery.show or just listening to us. We are here for you. And I picked another piece of music. This was tough. I found, found a bunch of pieces. I ended up choosing Shut Up, Kiss Me by Angel Olson, who is an artist that I do enjoy. Because it's about asking for receiving love in a particular way. Shut up, kiss me obviously physical touch important to her words less so so i think this is probably the chorus or part of the chorus shut up kiss me hold me tight shut up kiss me hold me tight stop your crying it's all right shut up kiss me hold me tight